Let's open our Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, and we're studying the book of Philippians, the epistle of joy, and, and uh, kind of what we've seen is whatever happens that uh, we that know Jesus would have joy that comes from Him, from knowing Him. Whatever happens, we conduct ourselves in a, a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, that we behave as citizens of heaven, He said. There, that we stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. But that verse there in, in verse 29, chapter 1, he says, It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him since you are, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I have. And uh, I was thinking as Norman was sharing about the suffering and, and uh, the pain that we go through. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis says that God uses pain kind of like a, I, I can't remember the exact quotation, but it's like he uses it as a megaphone to rouse a, uh, a sleeping world, something to that effect, where he uses pain and, and, it, and it kind of to rouse us, to, to get us to wake up. And, and uh, I was thinking about our country, though. You know, we, we've been going through this, but, you know, have, have we seen us as a country... Uh, looking to the only one that really can help us, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But it hasn't been like that. We're looking to man. We're looking to the government. We're looking to, you know, people to kind of do what only God can do. And God can use these things to get our attention. But if we don't look the right direction, what good is it? Of course, it does have to start individually that you and I, as we go through these things, we have to, we have to see that God will use that to get us to focus back where it needs to be. Again, uh, J-O-Y spells joy, and it begins with Jesus. Jesus. We've got to focus on Him, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. I read this, uh, I read this quote from F.B. Meyer, a, a preacher and teacher, commentator. He says, look up and take each throb of pain, each hour of agony as a gift Dare to thank Him for it. Look inside the envelope of pain for the message it enfolds. It is a rough packing case, but there is a treasure in it. Dare to thank Him for it. Even that trial, that trouble, that struggle, that pain. We're not in this uh, by ourselves, and I think we, we heard it. Uh, we see Paul mention it here. He says, you know, you, you have the same struggle that I have. Uh, Alex talked about it. We share these things together, and we all uh, face similar kinds of trials in this life, and so we need to help each other. So whatever happens, J-O-Y, we got to keep the order straight, and that's uh, when we start to get you know, so down, we got to say, well, maybe I've got things a little bit out of order here. That's usually what happens. Today we're going to look at the O, and that doesn't stand for Oprah, I hate to say. Well, actually, I'm happy to say it stands for others. Jesus, others, and yourself. First Jesus and then others. And you say, well, that's no problem. But the truth of it, of it is, it is a problem. Because the why keeps wanting to come in the first place. The me, the self. We're just self-centered and, and we're selfish human beings. And that's just part of this very sin nature that's within us. It's just the reality. Let's just accept it and then do what we need to do is put Jesus first, others second, and ourselves third. 
So look at Philippians chapter 2. We're just going to look at the first uh, five verses. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We see here this if-then kind of proposition, and those of you that are mathematics and maybe even in philosophy, there's the if-then proposition um, used in many other areas as, as well. But he says, if you have these things, then this is what should happen. If you do, then. But I want to also say, if you don't, then you should. If you don't have these things, these things like encouragement and comfort and fellowship and the tenderness and compassion, if you don't have those things, then you should. And where do you get them? Well, we go back to the J again. He says there in verse 1, if you have any encouragement from where? From being united with Christ. It's got to come from Him. Being united with Him. And that's having a relationship with Him. And that's the source. That's the beginning. If we don't have a relationship with Him, we've got nothing. We've got nothing to draw upon. Being united with Him. I read this intimate, personal relationship with Christ the Savior. And from this relationship flows all the particular benefits and fruits of salvation, like encouragement, come out of our relationship with Him. You start to wonder, like, what is going on in my life? Why is everything so messed up? Well, well, we always have to, like, get a, a check and see, well, where is my relationship with Jesus? Am I really building that relationship? Am I, am I spending time with Him? Am I talking with Him, listening to Him, reading His Word? It, it always gets back to the basics, just like on a, a football player. If he, if he doesn't know the basics, if he doesn't know those things, and they aren't drilled into him, and he's like, you know, putting them into practice every time, he does, he's not going to play like he should be playing. Being in Christ... Having a relationship with Him, that's where we find the encouragement. And I don't know about you, but we need encouragement, don't we? We need encouragement, but we need encouragement, and, and the encouragement is not to focus on ourselves because we already do that. The encouragement is to look to Jesus. That's what the encouragement is. In Ephesians 5, the passage about husbands and wives, it says the husband is told to love his wife, as he what? Yeah, that too, but, but the second, second time he says it, he says, love Christ, he love, you, love your wife just as Christ loved the church. That's correct. That's the first thing he says. But the second part, he should love his wife as he what? Loves himself. As he, and I put in parentheses there, already loves himself. Love his wife as he already loves himself. We, are, we, don't, we don't need to, have to be taught how to love ourselves. And this is a, a, a contrary to the world, what the world teaches. We don't need to be taught how to love ourselves. We need to be taught how to love others. Jesus didn't come along and say, you need to love yourself, love yourself, love yourself. You say, well, okay, but I've got this poor self-esteem and I, and I don't love myself with the, the, 
The, the thing about that is, and I, I think about this, I struggle with this, I know what this is all about personally, is that what it is is a preoccupation with self, which is, in effect, self-love. Think about that. You may not agree with me on that, but you think about that. We need to be taught how to love others, love God, the Bible says, and love one another. We need encouragement. We need direction. We need focus. The next thing he says there is comfort. We need that comfort. We are, we are comforted from his love, it says there. You see that in verse 1. If any comfort, if any comfort from his love. And we need that comfort. But 2 Corinthians tells us that we get the comfort from the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can feel good about ourselves. Oh, did I quote that wrong? I'm sorry. I thought it was all about making me feel good about myself. Some of you are going to get real mad at me if I keep on this track. I understand that. But, but why would you be getting mad about that unless that's what you've been taught and that's what you think is what life is all about, to make me feel good about me, me, me? The message is about oh, right? The oh means what? Others. Somebody else other than me. We take care of me. We, you know, we, we get taken care of. We don't, we'll see at the last part, we saw it there. We do take care of our interests, yes. But from that comfort that we receive, that comforts us in all our troubles, and I'll quote it correctly, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have, has received, have received from God. So we, can, we get comforted so that we can comfort somebody else. It's not just for me. It's not all just about me and what I need and what I want and my suffering and my pain and my trial. God will use those things in my life, but, but I think we need to say, well, then how can I, is there somebody else maybe around that is even going through it worse than me that I can maybe even try to help them some little bit, some way, somehow? Again, the encouragement, the comfort is not just for me. And when you think about it, it says from his love here, and when you think about his love, it was the most unselfish love that could ever be. Is that true? The most unselfish love, the love of God. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. It's an unselfish love. If we're going to get comforted by that love, it isn't just to make me feel good. It's that I might see that it's a love that he, he unselfishly gave to me. Unselfish love. That's what agape, that's what the definition of agape is. It's love for others. It's unselfish love, unselfish giving, unselfish to the other, you see. That is not natural for us. That is not our M.O. The third thing he said, if any fellowship with the Spirit, and that, that word fellowship is the word you've heard translated koinonia, it means sharing. It means having in common. It means partnership, which includes others, you see, not just me. Having fellowship, in fellowship with the Spirit of God. Having the Spirit of God within us and the Spirit of God flowing through us. The thing about the, 
the Dead Sea. In, in the nation of Israel, you have the Sea of Galilee, right? And, and the, the Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, if you can picture at the top of the map. It flows into the Sea of Galilee. It then flows from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. But the Dead Sea, at that point in time, it doesn't flow out anywhere. And the Dead Sea is just that, right? It's dead. Nothing grows in there. There's nothing flowing out of it. Just keeping it for itself, you see. But, but the Sea of Galilee, it flows out. And, and the Sea of Galilee is beautiful. It's wonderful. I've been there. I've, I've been in the Dead Sea. And you know what? Floating in the Dead Sea is gross. So what if you could float? You can't dare let your face touch it, your eyes, your mouth. If any tenderness and compassion, tenderness and compassion for other people, he says, if you have these things, then he says what? He says, then make my joy complete. He says, this is where I find joy coming. If you have these things, if you have the encouragement, the comfort, the fellowship and the tenderness and compassion from God, from being united with Jesus, having a relationship with Him, from His love, from the Spirit of God working within your life. He says, if that's the case, then, and he lists a whole bunch of things about being unselfish and taking care of other people. Jesus, others, yourself. And again, as I said earlier, if you don't have those things, then you should get them. And how do you get them? By having and, and, and giving your life to Jesus Christ, by having a relationship with Him, by getting to know His love, and by having the, the Holy Spirit within your life working in your life. But you see, if we have those things, it says that this is what comes. He says this is what we come, being like-minded, having the same love, like, like was mentioned about unity in our men's breakfast being one in spirit and purpose. That, that has something to do with how we get along with each other, right? And if each person is just selfishly thinking of themselves, how well do you get along? If you live in a house with other people, maybe you live by yourself and you go, wow, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. I, I don't have to worry about somebody else. I can put the toilet paper on any way I want to on that roll, I can just, you know, if I want to leave the place a mess, I can do it. But when you are living with other people, I haven't lived alone. Have I ever lived alone? I'm not sure. I have to think about that one. But I haven't lived alone for a long time. And you know what? It, it, the, the more selfish and self-centered we become, the harder it is to live together. Is that true? Look at Romans chapter 12. Turn back a, a, a few books there. Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Romans 12, 16. <clears throat> he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Live in harmony. The only way you're going to live in harmony is by, by, you know, humbling yourself, as he said in that passage in Philippians. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 5. Chapter 15, verse 5. May the God who gives encouragement and uh, endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth 
you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. There's something about humbling ourselves and, and not being uh, self-consumed and self-absorbed, you know, thinking about somebody else. This harmony that comes about, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. It's not that we all uh, have the same voice. It's not that we all say the, are, are on the same pitch, but harmony is actually different uh, voices singing different lines, singing, singing the same at the same time together, singing the same tune, the same song. But as they join together, it sounds beautiful. We're not all the same. Unity doesn't mean that we're all clones and then we all have to, you know, just be zombies. Uh, you know, no. We have personalities. We have all kinds of our uniqueness about us, and and I think that's beautiful that God has made each one of you unique. And I, I can see it in your faces. You're unique. There's something special about you. God made you that way. But he says there in verse 3, do back in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Somebody said the mortal enemies of unity and harmony are in the church are those things. Ambition, selfish ambition, and vain conceit. That doesn't mean that you, you have no ambition in life to do something. We need to have ambition in life. But he's talking about here selfish ambition, as someone else said, the desire to be number one no matter the cost. Another preacher said this, the secret of every discord in Christian homes and communities and churches is that we seek our own way and our own glory. I want what I want, and I need to be number one. I need people to see me. I need to, to you know, be recognized. Do we really want to advance the work, or do we want to advance ourselves? That's the question. He says, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Now, that's not a natural thing. Considering others better than yourselves. Is that your, what you do in the morning? In the morning, you get up and you go and you look where? In the mirror. Who do you got to see first? Well, you might see your wife, your husband, or kids, or whatever, but, but in the end, you, you, what you really need to you know, what, I got to make myself look good, comb my hair, do the things I need to do, put that stuff to get rid of those little crow's feet on the side. You know, the things that we need to do make to make us look good. And don't I look good? Humility, lowering, our, lowering ourselves. Peter said, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. He said, because, and hear this, I'd have you turn there, but we're running out of time. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God fights against us in our pride. And again, that's not something we need to look for. It's like there already, our sinful, selfish, proud human nature. We've got to beat it down. We've got we to you know, clothe ourselves with something else. That's what we've got to do. Considering others better than ourselves, thinking, well, you know what? They, they, they might need something. They might need to be encouraged. Stop thinking about what I need so much. I don't know how often it is I've been down and depressed and discouraged and God somehow gets me out of it, but he gets me out of it by thinking about somebody or something else. Not by 
consuming myself for another hour, another day, another week with myself? Consider others. And you could stop right there. Even if you can't consider them better than you, at least consider somebody else than you. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Put others first, he says, though. J-O-Y. And how do we do that? It's the good work we saw in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he's began a good work in you, and he will complete it. Charles Swindoll uh, says these words. He says, what does the Lord do to help broaden my horizons and assist me in seeing how selfish I am? Very simple. He gives me four busy kids who step on shoes, wrinkle clothes, spill milk, Spill, spill milk, lick car windows, drop sticky candy on the carpet. Being unselfish in attitude strikes at the very core of our being. It means we are willing to forego our own comfort, our own preferences, our own schedules, our own desires for another's benefit. And that brings us back to Christ. That brings us back to Jesus Each of you, he said, each of you, verse 4, should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Notice there are your own interests, and he doesn't say you don't ever take care of your own business. You need to. You do. Someone pointed this out, though. First, uh, there was Life magazine. Then it was People magazine. And then Us magazine. And then Self Magazine. And he says, any minute now I'm expecting Me Magazine. We should start that. No, no, no. Paul said in 2 Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of what? Themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud. And it goes on and on. Without self Control. I was thinking about that word self-control. Most of it's just kind of trying to control self because self wants to be selfish. But you know what? We don't have to so much beat ourselves. We need to just look in a different direction. We need to look towards others. Look towards Jesus first and then towards others. It is as we give our lives in devoted service to others that we rise above the selfish strife of men, one person wrote. And then it goes, as Charles Swindoll said, it goes back to verse 5 there. Your attitude should be the same as who? That of Christ Jesus. It gets back to Christ. It gets back to Jesus. Always, always. If you want to have joy, it's got to start with him, being united with him. Maybe you don't have that relationship with him. Maybe you need that today. Give yourself your life to him. Begin a relationship. He's right here. He, he understands you better than anybody else ever could. I want to recommend a book to you. It's called The Jesus Style by a man named Gail Irwin, and we probably should get some more. We've had copies in the past, but... But someone wrote it about this book. He says, the book is at its core all about servanthood. Jesus came not to be served, but to 
serve. He came in such a way as to be accessible to all people. There was nothing intimidating or threatening about him. He was totally others-centered. That's the key phrase, others-centered. He said, these are characteristics very unlike the way we operate today. We're very often me-centered. But to be like Jesus, others-centered. Let's close with John chapter 13, uh, a few verses out of John chapter 13. And then uh, Norman's got some uh, locust, uh, grilled locust out in the lobby that we're going to enjoy. Looking forward to that, Norman. Fresh out of the Sea of Galilee, you know. Verse 15, you know, look, we're not going to read the whole chapter because it's really about when the Lord washes the disciples' feet, right? He, he humbled himself and he washed the disciples' feet. He cared about them, somebody else. And verse 15 says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. He's left us an example. We're his servants. He's the master. If the master can do it, well, the servant should also be willing to do it. But look at verse 17. This is the key right here. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Some translations say happy if you what? If you do them. If you find, you're going to find joy, not in in yourself, not in taking care of yourself first, but in taking care of others. That's where the joy begins. Let's pray together, shall we?